friends to another episode of Footsteps of the Messiah. This is the special first night of Hanukkah edition. We are a little bit behind in getting this posted, so you are going to be traveling back in time to the first night of Hanukkah to hear this brief rendition of 13 Hanukkah facts everyone should know. So let us get started. So eight nights equals miracle lights. What does that mean? So why is Hanukkah Hanukkah? Why is it eight nights long? So the Talmud, the compendium of the sages, which is compiled of the Gemara, as well as the Mishnah, which is the how-to of Judaism from centuries ago, uh, starting with post-temple exile period. How was Judaism going? The rabbis asked themselves, how were they going to maintain unity and solidarity and consistency in practice? So they wrote the Mishnah. And then the Gemara, which means completion or completing, it was commentary on the Mishnah and combined, you get the Talmud. That's a very, very basic uh, idea of what the Talmud is. But T-A-L-M-U-D, if you're wondering, the Talmud asks and answers this question about Hanukkah being eight nights long. The sages taught on the 25th of Kislev, the days of Hanukkah are eight. One may not eulogize on them, and one may not fast on them. This is because when the Greeks entered the sanctuary, they defiled all the oils that were in the sanctuary. And when the Hasmonean, the Hasmonean monarchy, overcame them and emerged victorious over them, which, by the way, took about 20 years, they searched and found only one cruise of oil. I believe, and I'll have to verify, and I may not be able to find it in time for this podcast, and it may be in this article from Chabad, but I believe it was from about uh, 176 BCE to 156 BCE, but I could be off. But it was definitely 2nd century BCE. So, <coughs> excuse me. When the Hashmanian or Hasmonean monarchy overcame them and emerged victorious over them, they searched and found only one cruse, that's C-R-U-S-E, one vessel of oil that remained with the seal of the high priest, the Kohen Hagadol. There was sufficient oil there to light the uh, menorah, the, the temple menorah, for only one day. A miracle occurred, and they lit the menorah from it, from this vessel, one vessel, for eight days. The next year, the sages instituted those days and made them holidays with the recitation of Hallel, which is Psalms 113 through 118, and prayers of thanksgiving. Uh, that uh, One of the prayers of thanksgiving is called, and we'll, we'll read it either today or tomorrow, it's called Al-Hanisim. It's a very famous uh, prayer and text read. From, uh, around Hanukkah and other uh, celebrations where there was a great victory. Uh, in particular, it is read for Hanukkah specifically, and it's surrounding the Hanukkah victory. So, moving on, but there's more. Seven represents all that is found within this world, the natural world. There are seven days of the week, seven classical planets, and seven musical notes. In fact, the world itself was created in how many days? Three, two, one. I hope you said seven. Uh, that three, two, one wasn't a guess at the answer to my own question. That three, two, one was a countdown for you to guess how many days the world was created, in which I'm sure you got it right. Then there's the number eight, which represents that which is above, that which does not fit into the neat slots that hold the bits and pieces of our lives. By the way, if you go to the podcast on Footsteps of the Messiah of, about Cheshvan, Cheshvan is the eighth month. So 
I believe we talk in that in that episode about the number eight. So the number eight evokes the transcendent and the godly. Eight is the number of miracles beyond the natural. Okay, point number two of 13 things everyone should know about Hanukkah. Number two, light after dark. All right. Hanukkah candles must burn bright after night falls since their purpose is to bring light into darkness, but they need to be lit early enough that someone will be around to see them. The lights need to be seen so they can serve the function of reminding others of the great miracle God brought about. All right. Number three, the silent holiday. Hanukkah is the only Jewish holiday or biblical holiday not mentioned in the 24 books of the Bible. That's because the canon was sealed by the men of the Great Assembly who flourished two centuries before the Hanukkah miracle. Nor does it have a tractate in the Talmud that discusses its observances. Instead, it gets a by-the-way mention in Tractate Shabbat. And in the context of discussing Shabbat candles, the Hanukkah candles, and by extension the Hanukkah holiday, get their time in the Talmudic sun. Now that's not exactly true if you consider the New Testament or the Gospels and Epistles, as I sometimes prefer to call them. A, a part of the Bible, which I do. So let's take a look real quick. We're going to depart from the article for a moment and go over to the book of John chapter 10. So if you go to verse, he talks about, I am the good shepherd and verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Yerushalayim. It was winter, and Yeshua was in the temple courts walking in Shlomo's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Yeshua answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. What festival was this at? Well, it just told us. Festival of dedication. We already saw that Hanukkah means dedication. So Yeshua walked in the temple, in the courts, in the temple courts, in Shlomo's colonnade at the festival of dedication, a.k.a. Hanukkah, John 10, 22 through 23. So maybe before the end of the week, we will talk about the importance of why the Bible, which doesn't waste words, told us that he was not only in the temple courts, but he was in Shlomo's colonnade. So we'll find the Hebrew phrase for that part of the temple and hope to discover why he was there and why does the book of John tell us that important detail. All right, moving on. That's a sneak preview for a later episode. Okay, point number four. Before there were potatoes, there was cheese. Today there's a widespread custom to enjoy potato latkes on Hanukkah. Since the oil they are fried in reminds us of the miracle of the flames on the Temple of Menorah burning for eight days. But there's an older custom to eat cheese pancakes on Hanukkah, which is reminiscent of the dairy and intoxicating meal that the brave Judith, or Yehudit, fed the Greek general named Holofernes, or Holofernes. I can't remember how to say it. H-O-L-O-F-E-R-N-E-S. Uh, and that is Judith, J-U-D-I-T-H, uh, fed this Greek general before she decapitated him in his sleep, saving her village. So she basically seduced him, made him think that he was going to get to sleep with her. I don't believe she did because she was an observant Jewish woman, but gave him the idea that he would get to, gave him cheese, which made him thirsty, gave him wine, which made him drunk. After he fell asleep, she completely cut off his head. And you can read about this in the apocryphal 
Jewish book of Yehudit Judith, uh, and uh, you know, Jewish publication or online. Apparently, cheese latkes morphed into potato latkes, and those were unknown in the old world until the late 16th century, uh, and a new custom was born. So, you light a Hillel menorah. All right, what is a Hillel menorah? In the days of the Talmud, there were two major academies of learning, Hillel and Shammai. So these were the two great sages of that time period in the Talmudic era. The house of Hillel taught that every night of Hanukkah, we add another candle as we do today. Now the house of Shammai maintained that we begin with eight lights on the first night and light one less flame every night, ending Hanukkah with a single flame. That's from Shabbat 21b. So uh, the Shammai... Uh, the Shammai method was not approved and was not the one that they went with. So, uh, tradition tells us that when Messiah comes, when Yeshua returns, we will follow the rulings of the house of Shammai. But until then, there's a beautiful lesson to be learned from the Hillel model. Add more light every night and every day, obviously. Every little bit of light adds up to create something brilliant. And when you add a little bit more of the light of Messiah to your life each day, you burn brighter, your life burns brighter, and other people, more people will see it. All right. Point number six, Syrians, Greeks, Hellenists, or Yevanim. Okay. Let's see what this is about. We sometimes hear of Greeks, Syrians, or even Hellenists in the Hanukkah story. So who exactly were the interlopers that were expelled by the Maccabees? All of the above. After the death of Alexander the Great, the empire was broken up. The Seleucid Greek Empire was based in Syria, and the Ptolemaic Empire, which is spelled P like Papa, T-O-E-L-E-M-A-I-C, empire had its base in Alexandria, Egypt. The soldier station in Yehuda, or Judah, belonged to the Syrian Greeks. And who are the Hellenists and the Yevanim? They're the same people. Hella is the Greek word for Greece, and Yavan, Y-A-V-A-N, is how we say it in Hebrew. Now, just to make things more confusing, there were also the Hellenized Jews, or the Mit Yavnim, the basically like those who converted to Greek, uh, Hellenized, um, the, the, the ones that became more Greek and, and kind of started abandoning Judaism and biblical practices and conforming uh, with the Greek culture. So in Hebrew, they're called Mit Yavnim. They sided with the Greeks and pose an even greater threat to the survival of traditional biblical and Jewish life. Menorahs everywhere. On the first Hanukkah, candles were lit all over the courtyard of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. This brought the Hanukkah light from the inner sanctum of the temple, which was the holiest spot on earth, out into the open. As Jews continue to observe Hanukkah all over the globe, the ripples of holiness continue to widen and expand. Point number eight, lots of choices. Most Jewish holidays begin on only four out of seven days of the week. That's the way the calendar was calibrated, and it just it, it means basically that the calendar was created, and this was a lot of just wisdom miraculously from the Lord himself. But it was it was uh, fixed so that nobody had to really worry about what phase the moon was in because the basis of, if you look in the book of Exodus, I believe it's chapter Ah, gosh, I think it's chapter 12, but I think it's somewhere between chapter 12 and chapter 20 uh, that the God's, the, the Lord shows Moses, this moon shall be the new moon for you. And it was Nisan 1. So in the biblical calendar, Nisan is one of the four new years in, in the biblical calendar. So anyway, all that was fixed so that there, um, several hundred years ago, so that there was no 
um, at least I believe 200 years ago, so that there was no dispute about, uh, especially after the temple was destroyed, the um, phases of the moon didn't have to be in dispute. Uh, you didn't have to worry, well, is this day one or day two or day three? Or, you know, you have to wait too many days and then you miss a festival that's at the beginning of the month, especially, you know, the the uh, head of the year, Rosh Hashanah, which is one of the other four New Year's. All right. So, for example, the first day of Rosh Hashanah can be Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, or Shabbat. Never Sunday, Wednesday, or Friday. However, since the month preceding Hanukkah is called Heshvan and it can have 29 or 30 days, Hanukkah can actually begin on any day of the week except for Tuesday. Pretty interesting. So, were the Maccabees really so great? Well, any kid who attends Chabad preschool can tell you that the heroes of the Hanukkah story are the Maccabees, the clan who led the brave insurgency against the Greeks. Uh, but it was not all good. Judah Maccabee and his family were Kohanim, which is priests in Hebrew, members of the priestly tribe from descended from Aaron, chosen by God to minister in the Holy Temple. Judah Maccabee's successors took the kingship for themselves, something that rightfully belonged to the descendants of King David from the tribe of Yehuda. And why is that important? Because King Messiah, Yeshua, comes from the lineage of David, and we know that he is the ultimate king and will be Melech HaOlam, king of the world, um, ruling under the authority of Adonai. So, indeed, it did not take long until the monarchy of Yehuda was dragged down into a series of unending power grabs and bloody intrigue, with king after king trying to imitate the very same Greeks their ancestors had ousted from the land. Uh, now, here's a, a more modern-day story about Hanukkah in Russia. Technically, this was in the USSR. For most of his life, Avraham Genin, G-E-N-I-N, lit the menorah in the privacy of his own home or in the synagogue. A, formal so a former soldier in the Red Army, he lost his foot to a German bomb, but that didn't prevent him from walking the synagogue every week, an effort that took him an hour and a half. A stalwart Hasid, meaning an observant Jew who is in the study of, of this idea called Hasidut, which is basically the root is mercy. So observing the Torah to share the mercy and love of God with others. A stalwart Hasid who refused to bow to Stalin and his minions, he served bravely as a mohel. That's somebody who does circumcision. They're trained experts in and rabbis usually who perform ritual circumcisions and a teacher of the Torah. He was a beacon of light in the godless communist era. But then the unthinkable happened. By Hanukkah of 1991, cracks had formed in the Iron Curtain, and in the presence of approximately 6,000 Jewish people, Avraham Ganin kindled a giant menorah inside the Kremlin Palace of Congresses. It was the second year that a large public menorah had been lit in the USSR. The previous year, a menorah had been placed near Russia's White House. Public menorah sightings have, sorry, lightings have been a staple of Jewish-Russian life ever since. Hanukkah in space. In December of 1993, Space Shuttle Endeavor was sent into space to service the Hubble Space Telescope. One of the astronauts to bravely perform a spacewalk to repair the telescope was Jeffrey Hoffman. Knowing that he would be stuck in space over Hanukkah, Hoffman made sure to bring along a dreidel and a traveling menorah so he'd be able to celebrate. Because of lack of gravity and safety concerns, there was no way to light Hanukkah candles. Then, via live satellite communication, he showed his Hanukkah supplies, gave his dreidel a twirl in the air, and wished Jews everywhere a happy Hanukkah. I guess he could have taken a battery-powered dreidel, right? Okay, is your menorah in the doorway or at a window? 
The most common custom outside of Israel is to light the menorah at a window. In Mishnaic times, however, the menorah would be placed outside, on the left side of the door leading in from the street. This led to a unique law. Normally, if a person placed a candle in the street and a straw-bearing donkey brushed by too close, the owner of the candle would be responsible for the ensuing conflagration. On Hanukkah, however, he would be exempt because he was doing a mitzvah. Why was the menorah placed to the left of the door? Because the mezuzah is placed on the right side. With the mezuzah on one side and the menorah on the other, you are literally surrounded by holiness. Now, mezuzah is a parchment scroll that literally mezuzah means doorpost in Hebrew, but a parchment scroll affixed to the doorpost of a Jewish home or business containing portions of the Shema is, is uh, it's placed in a little case. And that case we refer to as mezuzah, but it's actually the case that the scroll goes into and it's nailed to the doorpost, which is literally uh, the mezuzah. But Colloquial, colloquially, we've uh, come to know the actual case that holds the scroll of the um, the parchment with the passages from, uh, uh, I believe it's mainly Deuteronomy, Devarim, with the Shema in it. Uh, that The whole thing is called mezuzah that contains the scroll. With the mezuzah on one side and the menorah on the other, you are literally surrounded by holiness. The harsh realities of the diaspora both sociopolitical and meteorological force the menorah to an indoor doorway, and some communities developed the custom to put it in the windowsill. Even today, many people prefer to light it in a doorway surrounding themselves with the mitzvahs of mezuzah and menorah, just as in ancient times. Okay, last point. How Hanukkah went public in three years. The purpose of the menorah is to spread awareness to as many people as possible. Advertise the miracle. This is why the menorah is also lit in the synagogue every night. But in recent years, the mitzvah of menorah has ripped out even further. During, during Hanukkah of 1973, some Chabad the Yeshiva students were planning to go to Manhattan to distribute menorahs. Technically, they're Hanukkiahs. Hanukkiah is a nine-branch um, menorah, and menorah is more a generic term, meaning lampstand, or candelabra. But... The menorah, usually we think of seven because that's what was in the temple and will be again one day soon. And uh, everybody knows what menorahs look like. Hanukkiah, if you count it, it's got two extra branches, meaning uh, it has nine. So they figured that if they could put a giant menorah on top of a car, many more people would notice them and take the menorahs they were distributing. Uh, using wooden scraps and cinder blocks, they managed to make a large menorah and tie it down to the roof of a station wagon. Uh, the menorah turned out to be a huge success. By 1974, uh, that was in 73, in 74, Rabbi Abraham Shem Tov had the unusual, perhaps wild idea of lighting a menorah right in front of Independence Hall, which houses the Liberty Bell, the icon of American freedom. That's in Philadelphia. In 1975, the opposite U.S. coast in San Francisco, Rabbi Chaim Drizen had made arrangements to light an oversized wooden menorah in the city's Union Square. Bill Graham, a child survivor of the Holocaust and well-known music promoter, donated a 22-foot-tall mahogany menorah, and the tradition grew into its current form. Uh, let's see. In 2016, Chabad Lubavitch set up more than 15,000 large public menorahs. Public lightings and Hanukkah events were held in more than 90 countries around the world. Additionally, 5,000 menorah-top vehicles roamed the roads, creating holiday awareness in cities, towns, and rural areas around the world. All right, friends, well, we'll continue tomorrow with Al-Hanisim, or uh, very soon, with uh, day two.
So may you be blessed and encouraged. And remember that Yeshua is the light of the world and our salvation. So may your Hanukkah burn bright with blessings, love, fulfillment, meaning, lots of meaningful understandings and light. God bless you. Shalom, shalom. And never forget to pray for the peace of Yerushalayim. Yeshalu shalom. Yerushalayim.